Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and shouldn't be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 51 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. We are working our way through the daily podcast adventure for the month of November 2021. And admittedly, we're in a little bit of a jumble. We're not on the exact day-for-day podcast, and we're embracing it. And yes, I'm saying we. This is a collective adventure, not making you responsible, but welcoming you in to the experience and honoring the power of the collective, knowing someone's on the other end, listening, seeing what happens when we put something out into the world, and we have reflections back to us. It's been great to hear different responses and reflections on the concepts that have been covered, and I look forward to seeing where this continues to go and grow. We have been, in the most recent episodes, working through an arc of concepts of the saboteurs that have been introduced through positive intelligence, and I put information about this program and these concepts in the show notes. As we've been journeying through, it has been a contrast Compare and contrast, which is interesting. Some of the ways I remember composing essays back in high school and being able to pull the similarities, notice the differences, see here our initial responses, recognize the opportunities we have to reframe and reflect differently, see what prejudgments we might have and how we might ease and shape those. And this is the final combination. This is the final of the nine that we are going through and tomorrow, or I should say in the next episode, which will likely be later today, actually, we'll do a recap of the whole experience and see what opportunities have arisen as we go through them. Interestingly, I did attempt to record this podcast yesterday. And as I was sharing with some of my friends, the podcasts are often one and done, a walkthrough. There's no scripting It's bringing through a certain concept and letting it flow and submitting it. Only once before can I recall where I recorded a podcast and didn't publish it because it didn't feel right. Once it was completed, it just didn't resonate. And that was part of the case yesterday. I got about halfway through and I just didn't feel resonant with the way it was coming through. And also, it was a fascinating reflection because the concept we're going to bring forward is one that can be the most challenging, the hardest to own for someone who does have this saboteur type behavior come through for them. And it was really curious for me that it happened in that way. I paused. I decided to let it be, to let it rest, to let me rest after a relatively long day. And if you can hear in my voice, perhaps a little fatigue because there was an incidental karaoke-esque evening going through all the songs from the 90s that were part of the soundtrack of my life. And 
embracing that. And so I thought, let's leave it, let it be, and restart again in the morning and see what comes through. Let there be some percolation. Our sleeping brains, as we learned from Dr. Funke, do a lot of great work, rest, recovery, rejuvenation, and see how that comes through perhaps in the way it's meant to in the morning. And so here we are, and the final saboteur we are exploring looks at victim. And just pausing for a moment, reflecting on that word, and this one I'm not going to give any sneak previews in advance, but really do just see what comes up for you. What visual comes in? Do you get a picture? Do you have a feeling? Do you have a time when you have felt to be in the role of the victim? Do you have a time when you felt to be contributing to the experience of being victimized? We have a lot around us, both in the current events, in historical affairs. We can see that. It is loaded. And it is a highly emotional word and experience and way of being, identification. I've shared in earlier podcasts in this season the work of Dr. Edith Eager with the choice and with the gift. And seeing where she, in one of the most horrific situations in modern history, looked at a space where she chose not to take on the role of being victimized, recognizing what had happened to her and absolutely not condoning it, stating that it is not okay and speaking out against it and seeing how internally she could have a different dialogue and not be that which happened to her, but to acknowledge that which happened, to see what the impact could be and create some space within there. And so when we think about victim, we can look at the times when that has been an experience we have had, notice what it has meant to us, what we have done in response, see when we have witnessed someone else who has been the victim and what that looks like and what we have thought about them, we can see where we have some different connotations in our mind about what that means, what it means about the experience, what it means about the person. And we're going to open up some space to be able to shape this. So let's look at some of the definitions and walk through this. And I thank you for your patience, your grace in exploring this with me. And I'm going to listen for what comes through. And I would love to learn from you what the impact is. My intent with this entire process is to offer opportunities for understanding of ourselves, for those behaviors and ways of being that really resonate strongly and how we often might show up in the world, to gain understanding of others if these aren't ways with which we often engage or identify, but they can help us to see how others might be thinking, feeling, responding, reacting, acting, behaving, and to notice that there are absolutely strengths within each and every one of these, and that there are also extremes to which they are taken that become problematic for us in our lives. So as we step into the definitions, one that is acted on and usually adversely affected by a force or agent. And we can think about all the different forces 
acting upon us in the world. And we can think about right now, we are in a global pandemic. We don't know how long it will last. We don't know what the repercussions will be. It is an ongoing daily influx of information or perhaps lack of information, definitely influx of different experiences. And what are the adverse effects? Not only directly of the virus itself, but of all the different peripheral, or we could even say immediate, secondary effects of the way in which we're interacting with one another. We've seen impacts on businesses. We've seen impacts on the social, emotional, physical health of so many And we can look at that word victim, right? And we could see where in there, there can be that sense of no choice. There is nothing that they could do. And even here, I recognize I'm stepping into some challenging territory. And we know that there has been a lot of controversy and disagreement in ways of thinking, feeling, acting, behaving in this space. But seeing where there can be this helplessness around it, and absolutely there are parts of this that we don't know and cannot control. But also looking where we can, and even if we don't step into some of the hotbed topics of certain behaviors and practices and compliances that we might have, what if in here the thing we absolutely can control is our capacity to recognize that each of us is having our own lived experience within this. And that can be really challenging. That can be really challenging when it feels like someone is doing something that is not in their best interest, that is not in your best interest, that is not in the best interest of the greater good. But what if we step into a place where even if we completely disagree with its actually happening with the details of it. We can even remain curious, if not compassionate, because there is compassion fatigue. That's a thing. If we can remain curious, we can step into compassion, if that's still available to us, that everyone is doing what they think is best based on the information that they have, the social constructs within which they have been living, and What can we do if we stay curious rather than judgmental in that space? And we don't necessarily take on the role of, there's nothing else I could do here. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't many things beyond our control here. Absolutely. I'm with you in that. But the space of remaining curious, what if that is within our control? And what if that is a space into which we can step and begin to connect and perhaps gain understanding in a different way than when we remain in our space of what is right and necessary and require that everything that happens look just like that in order to feel connected and to go forward. And this is a proposal. It's a hypothesis. It's a possibility, not a mandate. That's not what I'm stepping into. And I'd love to hear back from you on what might emerge from there. Because if we do look fully at what's beyond our control, there can be that sense of 
being the victim, right? That something is happening to us, that we have no choice or autonomy. And if the one thing we do hold on to in that space is curiosity for ourselves, why and how we're feeling and doing what we're doing, for curiosity for others, why and how they might be feeling and doing what they're doing, considering the opportunity to make the assumption that everyone is doing their best, even if it doesn't look like what our best is, and what opportunity might come in that space. Because what does come through for those who do experience and maybe default toward have a tendency to the victim behavior and mindset, right, can feel very alone, that things are happening to them, that they have brought on these challenges in their life. But there is within that space, the deeper feelings, that capacity for understanding and empathy. And there's room to tap into that. And that may be the space through which we build connection rather than create more divide. Where we do recognize we can tune into feelings and perhaps we can then honor and see what they are for others. Again, not changing them, but as we saw in some of these previous combinations, we can have an energetic exchange. We can offer up to another the awareness and sense of, oh, I see how you're feeling. Tell me more. I hear that. And perhaps there's room for more of that in this current climate. Looking at additional definitions for victim. One that is injured, destroyed, or sacrificed under any of various conditions. Looking at that, and these can feel like hard words. It's interesting. I don't think a victim technically is an onomatopoeia, right? Where it sounds like what it is, but it almost feels like what it is, or at least feels like what it is in the context. Even going through these and reading these definitions, it's a different feeling. It's a different energy I'm having experiencing in this. And possibly part of why yesterday I paused. Perhaps I wasn't in the reserves to explore this in an open and considerate way. And that's okay too, to recognize that, to recognize our reserves and say, I see there's room here to think in different ways and behave in different ways. And also, I don't have the time and the space and the bandwidth for it, and that's okay. I'm going to give myself that. And I recognize that can be a, a gift and a privilege to be able to do that. But it's something I encourage us to do, even if it's in minor ways, even if it's in the step away and take a breath. And if we can be brave and bold and say to someone, I see what's happening here. I hear this conversation. I think it's important right now. I don't have the reserve for it. Please can I have some space? And it does require some grace on the part of the other person. And at the same time, it's an opportunity for us to see where our own strength and boundaries are, how we can draw them and reclaim some of that control that life isn't just happening to us, right? We have space to engage and to advocate for ourselves. One that is subjected to oppression, hardship, or mistreatment. And this is where in coaching, we often talk about there are circumstances. We will use the word neutral sometimes. That can be challenging in certain situations. But recognizing that there are things that happen, there are facts in the world. And there are the thoughts we have about them that bring forward the feelings that we experience. For example, anger or frustration or disappointment are feelings we might have in a particular situation. And we often directly relate it to the situation, 
whether it be the amount on a paycheck that is unequal between us as a female colleague and our male colleagues, right? And absolutely, that is a systemic issue to be addressed from a standpoint of fairness and justice and equity and equality. And we can also notice our thoughts about it are generating the feeling. And the line to walk here is not to then ignore or again condone anything that is factual when it is actually unjust, unequitable, any of those ways of being. Absolutely. We hold the system accountable. We make meaningful change on a broad scale. And we also notice, and this is what Dr. Eager brings up, in addition to right, standing up for changing those factual, systemic spaces and ways of being, we also have the opportunity to address the thought we're having about it, our response to it, so that along the way, along the way of extraordinary advocacy and revolution, evolution, we are not enduring suffering all along the way. And that's the opportunity that we have. So I want to be very clear that when we talk about shifting our mindset, changing our thoughts, noticing our response, that we're not ignoring and we're not condoning all that's happening in the world around us. But it gives us the bandwidth and the space to really do so more effectively, to be more effective advocates because we recognize that we can feel any way about this and what way do we want to feel? What way is most effective for us to feel too? Move toward that meaningful action of holding the system accountable. Because being angry or frustrated might actually be fuel. They might be fuel for an acute phase. They might not be the long burning fuel that's sustainable. Burning would be perhaps not the right word to use there because we don't want them to be exhaustive or lead to burnout. But what can be the igniting fuel? And then what can be that sustainable right? The renewable resource that we can tap into. And so that's the opportunity here. And when we do have that default toward the victim behaviors in that space, can noticing it, seeing that we are attuned to what is happening that is not right, we might be more receptive, more aware, more clear on those injustices sooner, which can be an amazing gift to say, wait, this is not right. This is not what's supposed to be happening here. And we can then exercise that choice to acknowledge that, to recognize the impact, to speak out against it in ways that perhaps others who don't have as acute of a sense would be able to. So owning that opportunity. Another definition of victim is a living being sacrificed to a deity or in the performance of a religious rite. And seeing here too, where we overstep the bounds of the rights or the will of another. And recognizing when we see these practices in place and they may not be on the same scale as they have been historically, but looking to see, right? What sacrifices are we making? Are we really standing behind that? Is there a way to bring forth honoring in a different way? What is the acknowledgement? What is the purpose? There's room for thoughtfulness, consideration, and there's always room to shift what it is we are doing. There are practices, right, in the practice of medicine, let's look, that have definitely evolved. We saw that what we thought was therapeutic treatment not that long ago, right, within the past 200 years, were actually quite harmful, 
there was the practice of doing the best we could with the information we had, but now there is much more information. And so we can do better. It does take some time, some energy to challenge the system and reframe the norms, but it's available to us. Now, I pulled forward for the counter word here, what we would consider perhaps the direct opposite. But let's just go with it. Let's see what comes through. And in the recap, I think it's going to be a fascinating exploration of kind of the energetic exchange across all of these concepts and ways of being. So I put forward here when I was thinking of what would be my alliterative partnership for this word. And this one is the most direct reflective. It's really kind of the changing of the ending to swap it. But I don't know when they're that closely related that they actually are as equal of a balance. But we're going to let it come through and perhaps give some alternatives as well because that's available to us. So I have here Victor. And thinking about that, what comes up? You see someone in the ring, hands together, beaming, hand being raised in glory, in championship. Right? They have been in control. They have been the one who has risen above all in that space. And see if you just would for a moment, again, toggle that switch back and forth between victim and victor and see what comes up for you in perhaps body type, in the lighting of the scenery. What are all the details you see between those two ways of being, actions in the world? And just notice what our default descriptors might be. So we have that available to us. And let's step into the definitions here. One that defeats an enemy or opponent, the winner. Now here, right, does the victor create the victim? Right? And we might have other words we would put in place if we thought about a game, for example, or a match or a race, right? something competitive. We don't often think victor or victim. We might think victor or loser, winner or loser. We have those phrases. And again, just feel those. And I'm inviting myself to do this as well because there is often more ration and reason, right? I, I told you I share the hyper-rational as my kind of top saboteur to which I default. Let's just feel the experience of those words and what they bring up for us. Perhaps what memory do they trigger for you? Where do they bring you back to when you were the victor? What did that look and feel like? What was your contribution to that? How did the circumstances contribute? Right? What was within your control? What was not? I think about we were playing Scrabble yesterday, and there's definitely skill involved, and certainly very highly skilled, experienced, expert Scrabble players can make good on many tiles. Right? They can make it happen because they have a wide breadth of words and understanding of most effective ways of playing. But sometimes you really do just get some really crummy tiles and the words that are on the board and where they line up don't give you the opportunity to make words that yield high scores. And so we could look at victim and victor in that space. Right? What comes up there? And what parts can you control? Right? The word experience that you have, also your response to it. I've shared with you also, I'm quite a competitive person. I was able to right, celebrate good words on the board, independent of the score and who was generating them. And it was really 
a good game with a close score and everyone did well. I was not the victor. I was also not the victim of any circumstance there. There's room in between. And so as we've taken that visual throughout the toggling of the switch, one or the other, and turned it to the turning of a dial and the experience of being able to move through a gradation, not one or the other, but room in between to strike a balance, to find that resonance, and seeing with Victor what comes up for that. And in the time and the space where we do often give trophies, give medals, give awards for showing up, not necessarily for coming in first place. And we can look at the benefits of that. We can look at the detractors and challenges of that. And seeing that it can feel like at the expense of another. And yes, if we think about the Olympics, which we had the good fortune to witness again this summer, that in general, right, there is one person standing atop the podium. We did have the opportunity for a tie. I believe it was in the high jump, if I'm recalling correctly. But looking at, right, there is one person atop the podium. And that can be challenging. If you ever heard the Jerry Seinfeld bit about the silver medalist, right, where you work your whole life, right, and bam, first loser, right, you're out. Or, wow, right, second best in the world. And we can frame it either way, and either's okay. It's okay to experience disappointment in not achieving the gold medal, and that's been your life goal, and you were so close. Disappointment is okay. And it's okay for it to last for however long it lasts for that person. It's also available and okay should they choose to step into ownership and pride for the accomplishment they did have. Right? That is also okay. And so seeing that the victor can feel exclusionary, right? So while it can be exciting to be at the top, it might also be lonely to be at the top. And it doesn't necessarily hold the automatic glory that we might associate with it. Also thinking about for those who do perform at that amazingly high level, those pinnacle people, right? there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of sacrifice. And so while that may look, seem, and feel amazing, we might not be ready to actually do everything that it takes to get there. And that's okay. I had this experience myself, not for the Olympic gold medal level of performance, but I had the opportunity to race again yesterday. And I shared with you the experience around Halloween and the zombie run here in Traverse City. And this was the turkey trot. And having had that experience and having had the experience of run the course again and not being able to improve upon my time, I went to a space of what does this mean? And what am I seeking? And what's available to me? And what's possible? You know, I'm a runner by default, by nature, by history. That really is the sport with which I most identify for where it lives in my you know, space of origin for the most races I've done in my life, they would be running races where I've had the greatest success. It's still in running triathlon, perhaps a close second. And having come through that race experience and feeling like perhaps there was more to give. And then when I did the solo trial thinking, maybe there wasn't, you know, maybe that really was where my body is right now. And recognizing when I was at my peak of running, running was the predominant thing that I did. And here it really isn't for a number of different reasons. And recognize that running trains running. I can be fit and run pretty well, not so far off from my best times, not as close as I would like to be as we learned previously, but seeing, right? If I'm willing to 
recognize that if I would like to run at a higher level, run faster, it requires that I run more and likely eliminate some of the other things that I'm doing and perhaps take the chance because when I do run more, I run the risk of, no pun intended, but we'll embrace it there, injury, right? I've had some issues with my lower extremities in that space. And can I say, wow, with the volume I'm running now, which is pretty minimal, we talked to runners, right? we talked about Shalene Flanagan and her amazing accomplishments running six marathons in six weeks and the volume of running that it takes to run at that level, which to be very clear, I'm never considering approaching that. That is not within my physiology, no matter how much I would run and that's okay. I can accept that. But looking at, you know, do I want to run faster and am I willing to run more to get there? And right now, I think the answer is no. I think the answer, as I ran yesterday, and interestingly became much less about the competition with people around me. And we will say my husband did walk the course with my daughter and so he wasn't in the race for the competition. And perhaps even were he, because we had that previous experience where I could have a frame of reference, it would be less of an issue. But noticing that it wasn't about where I was in the race, I really didn't know there were more people and the layout I couldn't tell where I was relative to the front of the pack. I wasn't at the front of the pack. I wasn't so far away from it, but I couldn't tell exactly. The latter part of the race, more people passed me, right? So losing some of the speed in the third mile is curious to me because I often identify with the endurance, but looking at what are my muscles trained to do right now? And it is shorter events, right? My workouts are just designed to be shorter currently. And I improved upon my time from previously, again, not to my lifetime PR, but to a current PR, you know, in recent years. And so if I can think running how I am now and being able to do all the other things I'm doing, if I can perform at a relatively high level for me, I'm okay with that. I don't need to stress about it and lament about where I'm not. I can honor where I am in that space and let that be the victor space and make it less lonely because it can be lonelier to get much more stringent about the programming. I'm not faulting anyone who chooses to pursue that to the exclusion of other things. That doesn't have to be problematic. It's each of us embracing our own space. And so as we look at victim or victor, seeing again where the strengths for connection and empathy come through from that victim awareness, where sometimes loneliness and exclusion can come through in the victor space, and how we can notice when we have taken it to the extreme and lost sight of the possibility for connection, and when we can own the gifts of it and honor and recognize when we do have a success and our value has been witnessed. So that's where we are. We've come through these nine and truly these 18 and all in between because we're seeing them in their wide range of possibility. Tomorrow, can I keep saying that? In the next episode, (laughs) which may happen tomorrow or sooner, We'll look at a recap of this entire experience and then we'll set the stage for the roundout of this month. Thanks for being here with me. Thanks for walking this through. If you'd like to sign up for the Living Conceivable email beginning in December and the This Osteopathic Life newsletter, those links are also in the show notes. And as always, this is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.